This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Friday, right? It's Friday. That's right. It, it That's is right. Friday. Please let it be Friday. <laughs> um, we are. It's been a long week, huh? Oh, man. I've been on service. It's a long week. Summers are tough for the neonatologists. I don't know if it's the same. That's I don't right. know if it's. I forget well... how it was. I feel like, you know, especially if you have kids, the kids are home, like things are changing, like people's schedules are changing. Uh, it can be a lot. I forget when I was working in New York, if summer was, obviously I was a resident in New York, so I didn't rotate every, all the whole year through the NICU. So I don't remember, mm-hmm. but since it's coming down to Florida, like the summer is the busy season <laughs> for preemies <laughs> and the census is high. So yeah, it's been, it's been a busy week. Um, how are you, Daphne? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm 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 glad uh, we're getting to the end of erythropoiesis month, really. Um, yeah. But we've got some good questions, and um, maybe it's a good reminder to ask people if if you know they have some trainees in their life or they're getting a new class of trainees to to share share the podcast. Absolutely, actually, um, it's a timely comment because we are dedicating the month of July on the main incubator channel uh, to trainees and and educators. So we have Dr. Nair uh, coming up on Sunday, who's uh, the program director for the neonatal uh, fellowship program at the University at Buffalo. We have um, the Twitter famous Alvaro Proano coming up uh, uh, two weeks from, from, from Sunday, who will talk to us about what is it like to be a resident uh, and the expectations of fellowship. So we're very excited to be able to actually feature people in and around uh, the training world. Uh, so yeah, definitely tune in. Um, and then we also have a very special episode coming up on the main channel next week uh, about the recent decision by the Supreme Court of the United States to, uh, what is it, overturn mm-hmm. Roe versus Wade? Overturn Roe yeah. versus Wade. And... Um, and so we'll talk to Dr. Uh, Jonathan Fenneroff, who has uh, who's who has a, a degree, obviously he's a neonatologist, and also has a law degree. And we'll talk to us about the implications of this decision for us neonatologists on the ground. Uh, so don't miss this episode; it should be out Thursday, hopefully mm-hmm. Thursday. Thursday. No, not hopefully Thursday for sure. Thursday. <laughs> so we've got a busy week, is what you're saying. Lots of lots of content to consume. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's the goal. Um, we are um, looking to expand our team as well. If you're interested in working with us, let us know. And then uh, there was something else I wanted to say. Where are um, questions? Yes, this week we are running out of questions. Oh, well, sorry. We actually talked about this. The main thing. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm still at work. I finished work. I signed out. By the way, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking time You're away. Not working. But I'm not yeah. working. You're done. It's been a long day, so I'm forgetting everything now. Uh, we had some issues finding questions this week, so we do have. Uh, th- we use most of our questions from Brodsky and Martin on the topic in the past week, and so this week we actually uh, 
drafted one of the questions ourselves, and the rest were taken from two, uh, these. Two, or so. two, I'm sorry, two. I definitely wrote the questions. I should give credit. <laughs> uh, but the others were coming from, if you have ever seen the Neo Reviews uh, article, at the end, they have these questions. So some of the articles that we used as content for this week, uh, we actually are referring to these questions. Um, and they're available, obviously. We link to these articles in our website. So go check them out. Um, but yeah, all right. Without without much more mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> delaying and stalling, started. let's get started. Okay. So uh, do I ask the first question? I'll ask the first I'll question. I'll go first. I'll go first. No, okay. you go first. <laughs> It doesn't matter. You go for it. You go. Bye. Um, You are caring for a former 24-week gestational age infant, and you are discussing the need for iron supplementation with the family. What percentage of the expected iron transfer was likely to have occurred by the time of this patient's birth? Is it A, 10%, B, 25%, C, 50%, D, 75%, or E, 100%? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this sucks. Kind of like a <laughs> because, kind of like a backwards question. Yeah, I know that most of the iron transfer happens during the mm-hmm. third trimester. So I know that anything fifty percent or above probably is wrong. But I'm left with twenty five mm-hmm. and ten, and I don't know. Um, honestly, if I say ten, it means that ninety percent of the iron transfer hasn't happened, which sounds like a mm-hmm. lot. I'm gonna mm. say twenty. I'm gonna say twenty five percent. Purely, well, I think that I think that yeah. was a, a great test taking skill <laughs> because you know we talked a lot about erythropoiesis and we know that it begins in the fetus um, even in the first and second trimester. So they do need a little bit of iron. Um, so it, it is twenty five percent in general. The majority of iron transfer uh, a, around seventy five percent occurs in the third trimester, but. occurs before that. Thusly, the premature infant is at risk for iron deficiency, and this increases in severity as the gestational age decreases. Um, And part of that is because of um, this uh, decreased accretion of of iron. And this is just a component of the set of risk factors um, that set a baby up for anemia of prematurity. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. That's why iron supplementation is so important. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of missing iron over there. 75% That's right. grief. Um, okay. Next question is, all right. Um, a male 27-week gestational infant is five weeks old and has been treated with erythropoietin during the hospital course thus far. Which of the following would be a finding consistent with iron deficiency anemia. Choice A, high plasma ferritin level. Choice B, high mean corpuscular volume, the MCV. Choice C, low red cell, tr- low red cell distribution width. Choice uh, B, C, D, uh, sorry, choice D, low reticulocyte hemoglobin content, choice E, elevated beta hydroxybutyrate level in red blood cells. So I I thought this was actually a harder question than 
expected it to be. I saw, um, listen, listen. So for the audience <laughs> knows, I got to peek at the two first questions and that's why I was telling you that I wanted to go for the first one because I saw this question. I was like, I don't want to <laughs> take off this one. Uh, so the way I approach this question, so there's some things I definitively know about the lab testing and iron deficiency anemia. I expect a low ferritin level um, because, um, you know, ferritin is our storage form. So I expect it to be low. I expect a low MCV because iron deficiency anemia is microcytic. So a tiny red blood cell. Um, The red cell um, distribution um, width. So uh, kind of the discrepancy across red blood cells in the in the size um i believe that actually to be increased um low reticulocyte hemoglobin content i mean i really wasn't sure about that Mm. and then beta hydroxybutyrate level in red blood cells which i hadn't considered previously (laughs) Um, right it's like I was like, what section are we talking about? Um, So I was between D and E. I went with uh, D, low reticulocyte hemoglobin. Ma'am, you are correct. So um, iron deficiency anemia, right, uh, has several features. Um, Let's start with a few things that that should be easy to cross off. So in the question, it said... um, is it consistent with a high mean corpuscular volume, which is the MCV? And if you remember from your pediatrics board, it's, as you said, it's a low MCV, right? It's microcytic. microcytic. Um, and and these, these terms are very, um, in my opinion, very scary, right? You see red cell distribution with, and it's like, oh my God, I don't remember all these different things. <laughs> but, but they are what they mean, right? So the, the mm-hmm. mean corpuscular volume, which is the average volume of the actual cell. So are they big or are they small? Um, and in the case of iron deficiency anemia, you probably all remember that it's microcytic. So the MCV should be low. Um, let's talk about the distribution width. And that's actually a measure of the variability in um, in this in the in the width of the red blood cells, and because during iron deficiency anemia, because there's a need to produce and release red blood cells, there's a lot of red blood cells that are compl- very immature and that are getting released. So you have some large, some very small, and so the variation is actually quite high. Uh, so um, the um, the uh, you would expect an elevated RBC distribution width. When it comes to um, the ferritin level, you would expect not a high plasma ferritin level, as it is stated in the question, but a low plasma ferritin level, right? I mean, these represent some of your iron stores. Um, So obviously, in iron deficiency anemia, your ferritin level is not expected to be very high. Um, So finally, low reticulocyte hemoglobin content uh, really is the one that is the correct answer associated with iron deficiency anemia. Uh, because again, it's a marker of the uh, inability of the bone marrow to produce uh, red blood cells in light of a deficiency in some of the main ingredients, that being uh, meaning iron. Uh, plasma ferritin levels of less than 70 micrograms per liter at six weeks postmenstrual age actually predict uh, the development of iron deficiency anemia at six months. So um, that's actually quite an interesting fact. 
And then obviously the beta hydroxybutyrate um, is just a major ketone body found in mammals, including humans. So that was kind of a distractor. Okay. Shall we continue? Yep. Okay, question number three. Um, uh, Darby Poeton is an erythropoietin analog that has which of the following characteristics compared with EPO? Is it A, decreased glycosylation, B, a threefold increased serum half-life, C, decreased in vivo activity, D, found more commonly naturally in mammalian serum, or E, no ability to bind EPO receptors? Okay. So, um, that's an interesting question. Mm. Um, oh man, it's like you find the right answer that you think is the right answer and you have this <laughs> and other one. It's like, another one. Yeah. man. So, um, decreased glycosylation. I have no idea. I really don't know, but a threefold increase in serum half-life. I kind of know that to be very true. I mean, I know that we discussed this with, with Dr. Olds and we've seen this in the papers, like erythropoidin. Um, you give it like every couple of days, Darbipo is given like once a week. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that makes sense. The serum half-life being much, much longer decreased in vivo activity. Actually, I know that to be false. I've actually seen papers that might state the opposite, that it actually works, has increased in vivo activity. Is it found more commonly naturally in mammalian serum? I don't think so. That's, that's an easy one. And then no ability to bind to EPO receptors, obviously no. So the decreased glycosylation. It's such, I'm, I used to be a chemistry major. God, man. <laughs> uh, I don't oh. know. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the threefold increase in serum half-life. Cause I, I just, it has to be the right one. Thank you. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, the word glycosylation just gives me like terrors. I don't even like to read the word anyways. So um, that's correct. So I, I think this is a great question because people talk all the time, Darby, EPO, which one should we be using? What is the benefit of one over the other? Um, but um, uh, Darby Poetin or Darby for short has the following uh, characteristics. It is hyperglycosylated um, as compared to epigen. And if you're like me, you don't really quite remember what that means. It, it means that they have all these extra carbohydrate chains. And those additional carbohydrate chains increase the serum half-life and increase um, the in, in vivo activity. Um, and it's because of these features that um, uh, Darby can be dosed less uh, frequently than epigen. So it's, it's one of the um, pros of using Darby is that you don't have to give it as often. Um, and that... Um, uh, the increased serum half-life is like this question asked a threefold increased serum half-life. So the correct answer was B. For the audience and myself who need a bit more information, can you explain to us the mechanism in which the extra carbohydrate chains increase the serum no. half-life? Like <laughs> I don't know how they do that. <laughs> You're just glad, you should just be glad that I reread about the costalization. <laughs> Like oscillation. I can't even say the word. No, I don't know how it does that. Do you know how it does that? I, I want to say something. They're harder to break I, down. They're I have, harder, I, it takes longer to break them down. I have a I have a very rough idea, but it may be very wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to. If people thought I was a smart guy based on this podcast, I don't want to. I don't want to burst the bubble. Yeah. Re well, now you left me out there hanging. <laughs> I don't know. Does it? Does it like adding a sugar group makes it like? I think it's makes just it more takes stable. longer to break down. Yeah, it's more stable and it has to like, yeah, maybe I don't know. Okay, moving on. 
Next question. I was making a joke. Please, Wait, I didn't even not... get to finish the answer. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I thought, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, the other answers are, um, is it more commonly uh, naturally found in mammalian serum? Um, no, um, that's epigen. And, and then no ability to bind to epigen receptors. That's, that's obviously incorrect because that's why we use it um, for its ability to bind to epigen receptors. Okay, now it's your turn. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, which next question? Which of the following correctly describes an aspect of the physiology of EPO in the brain? Choice A: EPO found in the brain would be all exogenous, having been produced in the kidneys or administered pharmaceutically. We're looking for the correct answer. Choice B: Hypoxia-inducible factor one leads to decreased action of EPO in the brain. Choice C, an overabundance of EPO receptors in the brain has been linked to increased apoptosis. Choice D, both EPO and EPO receptors are present in the brain during embryogenesis as early as five weeks after conception. Choice E, in the nervous system, the only cell that express EPO receptors are neural crest cells. Good luck. Okay, so uh, we are looking for the true answer. Um, it's not one of those trick questions. Um, Epophon of the brain would be all exogenous, having been produced in the kidneys. Um, that's incorrect because we studied that extensively in the, the last week is that um, epigen um, is made um, in, in numerous sites throughout the body. Um, so that's wrong. Um, HIF, uh, hypoxia inducible factor leads to decreased action of EPO in the brain. So they're certainly linked, but increased HIF leads to increased EPO. Um, and overabundance of EPO receptors in the brain has been linked to increased apoptosis, actually the opposite. So that's why we even we, the community even thought to use epigen as a neuroprotective agent is that overabundance of epigen seemed to have um, neuroprotective effects, including decreased apoptosis. Um, epigen is present in the brain during embryogenesis at five weeks. I don't actually know. I don't know exactly when. But I do, it, it is, we did cover that. It starts very early in conception uh, and post-conception life um, where EPO is produced. And then the last answer in the nervous system, the only cells that express EPO receptors are neural crest um, cells. And I don't believe that to be true either because there are lots of cells in the brain that, um, uh, that express epigen receptors. And that's, again, part of its neuroprotective benefit so um you, you've talked I'm a looking lot i've talked a lot i'm looking for the true answer i i'm so it looks like the true answer is that epigen and epo receptors are present in the brain as early as five weeks after conception okay very good that's correct the Thanks. um <laughs> epo receptors are found on many cells in the body in the endothelial cells neurons glial cells neural crest cells bone and muscle cells. Erythropoietin can cross the blood-brain barrier and is also produced in the brain by astrocytes. 
erythropoietin in the brain is felt to be neuroprotective because it has uh, a few uh, effects. Number one, decreasing inflammation and apoptosis, as well as decreasing oxidant injury and increasing angiogenesis and neurogenesis. The expression of EPO in the brain is primarily regulated by this HIF, the hypoxia-inducible factor, or the hypoxia-inducible factor 1. HIF is predominantly activated by hypoxia, but also by other stressors, including hypoglycemia and oxidative stress. When, IH, when HIF1 increases, it induces the expression of EPO, um, not decreases, as uh, the, the question stem, as the question choice uh, be mentioned. EPO and EPO receptors are present in the brain uh, during embryogenesis as early as five weeks, as you mentioned. So yeah, good job. Okay. Our last, last question. question. Okay. Yeah. A one-month-old former 25-week infant continues on epigen and iron supplementation. Which of the following is false about epigen treatment? Um, a, is it A, the number needed to treat with epigen to decrease red blood cell transfusions is 10? Hmm. Um, is it B, um, erythropoiesis stimulating agent administration is typically accompanied by two to six milligrams per kilogram of supplemental iron? Is it C, um, erythropoiesis stimulating agent treatment has not been shown to increase the rates of retinopathy of prematurity? Or is it D, an adverse effect associated with erythropoietin um, is neutropenia? So you're looking huh. for the false answer i'm actually trying to comb through my notes from this uh <laughs> <laughs> um okay 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 which one is false um mm -hmm. the number needed to treat to decrease red blood cell transfusion is 10 okay um all right <laughs> so let's see i don't know i, I was looking at the I, I have a feeling that this is incorrect i think it was less than 10 um, but I'm not sure. I would have to look that up, and I'm trying to cheat mm. <laughs> by looking by looking at my notes. I did take notes. I think it was six, if I remember correctly. But I'm not sure anymore. Shoot, and I'm not even sure which trial that came out of. Oh, <laughs> fine. It's been a long day. Okay, ESA administration is typically accompanied by iron supplementation. Yes, that is true. You should supplement iron when you're giving ESAs. ESA treatment has not been shown to increase the rates of retinopathy of prematurity. That is correct. Refer to episode uh, from yesterday with Dr. Robin Alls, where we delve into that topic uh, pretty much in depth. And finally, an adverse effect associated with erythropoietin is neutropenia. Yes, that is a side effect. So I guess I was correct then. Transfusion, mm -hmm. NNT is 10. Um, I think it's less. I think it's less. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very good. So yeah, that's right. So studies, while um, heterogeneous, showed that ESA administration decreased the number of red blood cell transfusions, particularly if you administered before the eighth uh, postnatal day. And the number needed to treat is about six to seven. Six. And about the other, that's right, about the other studies, uh, sorry, about the other answers, in most of the studies, the Vipogen supplemental iron administration ranged between one and six milligrams per kilogram, um, most studies in the higher range, and in general, six milligrams per kilogram of iron supplementation is recommended. Now, some babies have a sub sub 
substantial iron load in their feeds already. Um, so that's just something to take into account. There were some concerns initially with ESAs being linked to retinopathy of prematurity. Again, this was discussed, um, I think, at length this week. Um, however, subsequent studies have shown this not to be true, and treatment with ESAs may even be associated with decreased ROP. Um, so that is something that is uh, continuing to be studied. And then um, this, I think, is often forgotten, especially if you uh, are giving prolonged courses of erythropoietin. Um, and it is also seen with darbipoietin, but an adverse effect of the ESAs um, is neutropenia. Um, usually does not become clinically relevant, like not an increase in infections. Um, you'll definitely see that on, on your mm -hmm. lab findings. Well, I think that's all we had for today. Okay, a few more things. Number one, people go on the webpage for this week's week's episodes and claim CME credits. We're super mm, happy yes. uh, that we can actually offer CME credits, so take advantage of that. We get there's episodes where there's um, where there's actual uh, content like uh, being delivered, where it's not just a casual discussion, actually get, are allowed to be uh, claimed as CME credits. So this week it will be 0.5 CME credits per episode. Uh, we will have uh, little questions to make sure you listen to the episode as we do for the other incubator podcasts. So claim your CME credits. All right, that is now it for me. Daphne, see you Sunday. Sounds good, buddy. Go home and get some rest. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUpodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.